Welcome to the Coach Cahill Show, an audio masterclass on how to move the needle on your performance and impact as an athlete, parent, or coach. Here's your host, Coach Cahill. What's up, Coach Nation? Coach Cahill here to discuss how to build player relationships with last chance use Juco basketball coach John Mosley. Somewhat of a breakout star, after Netflix's most recent season of its highly acclaimed Last Chance U series, Coach Mosley brings a wealth of experience to his basketball team. Originally with designs on playing pro basketball, Coach Mosley was bit by the coaching bug while on a missions trip to Brazil, found college basketball, and is now head coach at East LA College. I highly encourage you to go check out East LA College and support their growing program so Mosley and his team can continue to do the great work they started before covid interrupted it enjoy what was your spiritual upbringing like and how do you feel that that's impacted your coaching style well you know what uh i was fortunate man so fortunate um and that's why i think it's important i I, I try to plant seeds all day long because i was fortunate i grew up in a a Christian family uh my parents will actually became late believers in the sense that we they started to go to church when I think I was maybe in late elementary middle school and so it was kind of you know force fed right we show up you got to go to church you got to go to Sunday school and youth group and all that stuff and you show up to that uh so there was a level of conviction and then I think uh as I got through high school I've had a at that, that moment where I, I prayed on my own and I, I felt like that I've received Christ and he came in and there was a, a level of conviction. And then I moved on to the master's college uh, or the master's university now. And I got a chance to see how other believers, they lived out their life. And that had a major impact. And then the short story is going to Brazil on a missions trip where I was literally isolated. And I, I was going on a missions trip, but my my arterial motive, my intentions were to go, okay, when we finish the missions trip, I'm gonna play pro ball, you know, after yeah. our, so that was my deal, right? I didn't tell yeah. anybody, but I was like, sure, I'll go on a missions trip and we're playing exhibition games against these pro teams. And, you know, we share our faith and we do clinics and different things around the country. And we did it from that perspective. And so I'm trying to impress the pro teams and all that. But what happened is when our mission team left, I stayed and uh, this is where the change really came and I know a lot of people have questions. They say, well, when did you pray to receive? When did you get baptized? You know, there's a moment. Yeah, that that happened at the end of high school. Uh, and I, I believed I was saved, but I think God had to uh, show me how to how to really live out my faith. And, and what happened in Brazil is I was isolated. So I bring my little devotionals and, you know, you have all that stuff, right? They're packed away. And once I get to uh, a place where everybody leaves and I'm there just trying out for pro teams, now I'm on this camp left over and they allowed me to stay like a month. And there's like one person that speaks English and here I am, all I had was my Bible. I didn't, couldn't understand any television shows. So I do my normal devotion in the morning, talking about a half an hour to an hour, right? You know, dear Lord. And, you know, I do all that, right? <laughs> Then all of a sudden I find myself why well, I don't have anything to do. So look, I'm, I kept reading and it became interesting. You know, a lot of times when we, when we spend time in the word or with the Lord, it, it, I really feel rushed because it's like sometimes things drift in your mind. Oh shoot. I have to do this for the day. Right. And you get rushed. And then the same thing, if you, if you spend time in the evening, you know, like, okay, it's almost time to go to bed. But I didn't, I didn't feel rushed. And I was, it was like, almost like I had to finish reading what I was reading. And so it goes from 45 minutes to an hour and a half to two hours in the morning. And then the only other thing I had was to go do basketball workouts and tryouts. So then I come back home and from that, and then I said, well, let me go into what I was reading before. And so I read a little bit of that. And then all of a sudden, those times went from an hour to spending time in the Word to like three hours a day to six hours. I remember it was six hours. I was three hours in the morning, three hours a night. And then that went on for almost a month. And then all of a sudden, it was like, oh, my gosh, I was so humble. I was so, and I could tell people it wasn't fearful. It was so 
of reverence and I really understood who God was when I really understood I saw his word his acts and all the things that he did and I was like oh my gosh all the things that I learned um I really understood you know what I'm saying because I, I had to get a minor in theology you know you, you know you have the Christian college and you have to get a minor right so I got that minor uh, and once I got it, I just, I knew how, what, what was good about it is I knew how to go and dive into scripture. I knew how to cross rep. I knew how, what commentaries to go to. I knew all that stuff, right? Because I had to learn it, sure. right? I had to take a test and learn about Yahweh and all these different, I had to do all, I, I took a right. test and learned it, but I didn't really know until I really studied. Sure. I, until it was intentional. It was intentional mm-hmm. studying. And I was in Brazil. So I thought I was going to Brazil to uh, play pro ball. And God said, no, I'm there to isolate you and consecrate you and really let you learn about me. And so that's when it really hit home. And then when my faith changed in the sense that I was like, the purpose, my purpose is to really go out there and try to save souls and and to not live for me, but to really live for the Lord. So before we, we, you know, I'm a Christian, but I'm looking for everything to come to me now because I'm a Christian, like, Lord, I'm a believer. Yeah, I'm gonna be a nice guy and I'm not gonna curse and swear, but but that also means that all these gifts are gonna come to me because I'm saved. And then I realized that no, I'm not entitled to anything, man. Uh, I, 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 God's grace saved me. And here I am like, just I'm, I'm, I'm saved by his grace and I don't deserve anything. So I need to pour my, I need to pour into everything else to honor God. I need to pour into all these things so that that God is glorified, not me. And right. I think that's 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 been my conviction since then. It's been a, a heavy conviction, and I thank God that that He convicted me in that way. And I and that that seed and beyond the seed. And when that word gets poured into you like that, man, you don't have any choice. So that's where a lot of the pastors and 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 ministers, when they say, "Are you truly saved?" or whatever there's a self-examination mm-hmm. that if there's not a level of fear and reverence and understanding and conviction, then you do have to question and self-examine. And so the level of conviction is what really changed me. And so that, that, that's kind of how I live out my life now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think um, that I did, that's not exactly that. It wasn't a missionary trip. I did Peace Corps for two years in Ukraine and, you know, this is like pre-Wi-Fi and you, you almost have like nothing else to do, but to like pray and reflect. And, um, and it's almost like when you come back to the States, you're surrounded by tons of technology, everything's comfortable. There's Wi-Fi everywhere, anywhere you want it now. And it's almost like we've, uh, insulated ourselves from needing to feel scarcity or needing to feel like you have to rely on God or, you know, whatever your belief system might be. Um, and, and that kind of, brings me to like the next question, which is how do you feel like you've, you've been, you've been coaching a while. Um, what do you think the impact of social media has been on uh, players that you've worked with over time? And I, I think similar to, to, I come a little bit more from the world of like college football, but I think similar to college football basket, you know, Twitter's basically where all, basketball recruiting happens and it's like the best and worst thing that ever happened to humanity um so how do you think things like twitter and social media have impacted or changed uh players and and how do you address that as a coach yeah you know what's crazy is i never had social media man and so my twitter started in 2009 but i never sent out a tweet until two months ago right before the show and People were saying, hey, you need to get followers and stuff because of this show. I never had Instagram until two months ago, and now I got like 50,000 followers. And <laughs> I'm really jealous. Oh, they're so jealous. You know, they they were they were like, how does he, you know, and <laughs> you know what I was sharing uh, about the social media, and I'm thinking like, regardless of what I try to do or what I try to follow, all this information is coming across that is not relevant to me, and you find yourself looking at it. So we're not only are we taking in content that's inappropriate and it, we're normalizing it. it, it's becoming normal. We're desensitized to all of this. And, and it's just so, I'm so burdened with, oh my gosh, all of this is coming in. And I even had to say, well, let me go check. Even though my kids, they'll, they got small followers, they're all private and everything. I'm like, you know what? It doesn't matter who they are. What can, 
they're getting all this information that the world, how the world is trying to brainstorm our children or whatever uh, special interest is out there now. It's going through not only, and I'm watching, and even television too. I, I haven't, I didn't watch television at all until the pandemic. Now, all of a sudden I'm sitting there, I'm watching all, I didn't watch every show of all of the shows of office now, you know, <laughs> my wife is looking at her like, that is so, uh, don't watch that stuff. But then she goes and watch something that she likes. And I'm like, so we're feeding all these poisons into our mind and I'm looking at commercials and I'm looking at the messages in our commercials and they're trying to, uh, all of these messages in, on social media and, uh, and in regards to our players, man, you know what? It's a false sense of who they are. They're, they're sending out messages of who they are and they're not really. And then guess what? If they get a thousand likes or hundreds of thousand likes, then that's who they are. Even though on the social media, they're lying. But because of the likes, because of the followers, now that's who they are. And they've never even worked for it. All they did was put a pitch, a 30 second picture up of who the world thinks they are and they got all the likes. And so now there's a false sense of hope. And so now they can come in, walk in the gym and believe that they're this player. And I'm like, no, social media told you that this is who you are in 30 seconds. But what I'm looking at is someone who needs to work on their skill, someone who needs to work on and change their attitude and their posture, their toughness, all those different things need to change. And so they're kind of like a sense of reality when they walk in the gym versus there's no reality, man on yeah. this social media and I'm just like looking at mine like I'll post something simple and then everybody's like oh this is great you're so spiritual and I'm like dude all I did was post a scripture or or say this or that and I almost want to you know I, I think there are some things that I plan to do in the future that I think will be good you know I, I, I and and that will be the only reason why I, this is this is worth anything and that's what it should be for you know I may plan to 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 I think I have some help right now writing, writing, uh, just some things that'll help uh, from a spiritual standpoint. And that, and, and if people want to connect and want where we can talk and have these spaces like this, then that's fine. But beyond that, man, uh, there's no use for it. Like, why do I want to show people that I'm eating some of this great meal? You know, <laughs> uh, so yeah. I'm really disappointed and it's really disheartening. It's a necessary evil in some ways. I, you do get a chance. Well, you know, it's great. I get to tweet out or send out that my son had a great game and now college coaches, Hey, I heard your son is he's doing well. And so it helps in that regard. But at the same time, man, it's, it's over, uh, you know, we're overstating who we are. You know, I mean, look, I'm looking at males and females, they're overstating who they are and they live in this false world through this social media. Sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I teach high school and I've taught almost a decade and, you know, it's funny, like, uh, we, I was proctoring lunch duty a couple of weeks ago and there must, there was like 30, 40 kids in there spaced out, social distance, whatever. But like, n there was not a single sound being made at all. Like everybody was sucked in on their phone or iPad. And I'm thinking like, man, like 10 years ago, like yeah. My worst fear was like finishing something early in class because I knew kids were going to talk. They were going to yeah. joke around. They would throw paper, fight, whatever. Um, and it's almost like you have to like threaten or shake kids to engage with each other. Yeah. Um, and, and so I get like, have, is, have you kind of seen that as well? Yeah. I mean, I had to, like, I, I make my children, I got a timer set on theirs. So there's thing goes off at 10 o'clock. They can't look at it afterwards, you know? Cause they can kind of look and they know I'm a walk around my, my kids and walk around and I'll, I'll pop in their room or something. And, and I'm look, I'll go directly to their phone or they're on some type of, uh, and then it, it's easier when it gets late, they'll go in their bed and they'll lay down and they'll look and then something will screen scroll across cross. But that's, what's happening even in our, with our adults. And I mean, we're, we're standing in line at the grocery store and everybody's eyes are on their phone. Um, we're at a basketball game and if no action is going on, everybody's eyes are on their phone and that's absolutely happening everywhere. And even with our players, man, their eyes are on their phone. Um, you'll get a brief moment where they're interacting, but that's where we're at now. And because I'm engaging now on social media, I'm like, are you kidding me, John Mosley? Are you that guy too? 
you know, because, <laughs> because I'm engaging right? for, because of uh, this last couple of months of what's been going on. And I'm just like, man, this is, I see, I see what's happening and I see why. Cause I used to, oh, I used to let off on everybody. I'm like, get off the phone, get off the social media. The fa- It's all fake. It's all. And so here now I get this social media platform because I, ha- you know, I'm engaging because of the, the show and in the, the engagement I'm doing it. It's, it's, I think it's okay. But I, you, then you find yourself, if you try to click it off and then there's something that scrolls across that grabs your interest. And I'm like, wow, look at what this technology is doing to even grab my interest. And I would just two months ago, I would say, please don't get away from me with the social media. Do not have your head in the phone. Your neck is going to get broken like this, you know? And now I find myself the same and it's, it's really disheartening. It's disappointing, but this is where we're at. And so the only way I think we can combat that is to truly as much time as we do in the air, we pour the word in us. And uh, I can tell my son, my daughters, I say, man, you, I said, you, my son said, I had time going to sleep. I said, okay, here's what you do. You plug in, you know, this, this, the Bible and you just turn it on and you go to sleep with that, you know, and you listen to scripture. And so we've done that. And our, my kids have done that um, uh, to do that. Uh, If we don't use social media or we lose our, our electronics, we'll use it in that regard, but we have to pour in just the same amount as uh, the other things that we're pouring in. And that's, that's the fear now. Before it was like we were just pouring in to relationships and whatever he said, but now we're getting information at a hundred miles an hour from technology. I mean, literally one video clip can, can abuse our children. Like our children can be abused from one video clip. We used to be able to protect it, but they can watch 50 video clips in a day now that can really just change their minds and change their their philosophy and really uh, turn our kids out. You can be turned out just on your cell phone in one day. When before I had an opportunity to protect my children, I knew where they were going. I knew the children they were going to be around. I knew the teachers and you would just hope that nothing catastrophic happened, but but you had a sense of being able to protect them. But what's happened now is we got these tablets and platforms where this stuff can scroll and they can literally be turned out and shown something just like that. And now you lose them. And now your children, they'll, they won't even tell us. They'll say, okay, whenever my parents aren't around, I'm gonna go look at that again. And they can completely turn them around and turn them out, you know? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I- it's like the, I mean, obviously we connected through social media and it's now that I'm thinking about that, it's kind of ironic that God took the thing that you like most yes. <laughs> wanted nothing to do with. And now he's like, all right, well now you get to model as an adult, what appropriate use of this thing might look like. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you, and you, you deal with a lot of recruits. You've, you've coached a long time, high school, all levels, uh, college. What is the biggest misconception that you feel you have to dispel for parents and recruits year in and year out in the college recruiting process, whether it's for JUCO or, you know, NCAA basketball? Well, because of social media, because of television, because of how magnified the NBA and those things are, you know what is hard to sell the fact that, hey, this may, you can reach those same goals, but this may be your first stop. And a lot of times they want to attain that right away. And this can be a a first stop and it's not a bad, yeah, there may be a little less resources. Yeah, you're in an environment where it's more diverse or there's more socioeconomic struggles, uh, there's less resource, but this may be your stop. And and because it's your stop, it doesn't mean it's the wrong stop. And so we have to dispel that. And then we have to dispel that you can get a good education here as well. It depends on you. Like, yeah, you you could go to a, be in a space where because there's less resources, you may get in a situation where you may be guided to the wrong classes or something like that, or or maybe you don't put together the right academic plan. So a lot of the, fall, the responsibility may fall a little bit more on you when you're at the community college level, but that's okay. You can get the same education. You can get the same uh, that same background, you can also save money and different things like that. So that's something that I always constantly have to share and share like, hey, come take a look. It truly is a four year university environment, you know, is the only difference is you're going home every night. 
right? And, you know, uh, in that situation. So those are some of the things, but you got to understand that we can all end up in the same space. And just because a kid, hey, he signs up for UCLA and he's at UCLA right out of high school, it doesn't mean he's going to turn out and be a lawyer that he wants to be. I mean, your route of being a lawyer, this may be your route. May God may call you to go this route to develop you uh, into the person you need to be to be that great lawyer or to be that great doctor. You may need to go through some adversity and some difficulties and have some hardships while you're at the community college because there will be some challenges just because uh, at this level. And I, and, and I challenge those to, to, to see it. If, if, you, if this is one of your options, um, and this seems like the most feasible option, then, then you should do it because there's some lessons that you can learn at this level, at the community college level. Um, and it, it can be cheaper and it could, you can get through school a little bit quicker um, at this level. But I think we, just the notion that you won't be a great whatever because you went to community college, it's like you a failure. It's like, you know, why not see it as a, uh, uh, entry to that university preparation for the university rather than see it as a glorified high school you know so sometimes we see it as well it's just glorified high school rather than this is our preparation for so that I can have the the, the most success at the university yeah yeah for sure and do you think that there's uh obviously there's a stigma surrounding juco basketball yeah um especially in California. So here's the thing in California, we don't have scholarships, right? So, and a lot of us coaches, our salary is, the majority of our salary comes from us teaching. So we don't get fired as easily as, you know, I could lose every game and I won't get fired. So in some sense, yeah, you have that stability and you may get a year where a coach is just like, you know what, I'm burnt out. So he loses the motivation to, to say, okay, this year I'm going to try to win a championship this year. And so now our experiences in terms of playing ball isn't as good as they could be if, if, if you have the, the pressures of winning, right? And then now, okay, hey, let's have this winning experience. Let's try to win. Let's try to get everybody graduated and moved on. There's no pressure or uh, there's no uh, uh, the expectation to make sure everybody transfers out. So you have that in California. So all you have to be here in California, you got to be a good college professor, a good, co a good college instructor for you to make sure you maintain your seniority, you know, mm -hmm. or your tenure. Uh, but transferring young men out and making sure they have, you know, that's up to me. That's up to me to say, hey, that's my passion. That's what I want to do. And that's here in California. At the community colleges in other states, they they have to win in order to keep their job, but that's how it is here. So it's up to me to want to say, Hey, I want a competitive program and I want to make sure guys get out. And so that's what happens here in Juco basketball in California. And sometimes there's, there's some places where, Hey, the, the focus may not be on, let's make sure we win and, and get you transferred out. And so that's, that, that's where we get a little bit of the stigma here in, in California. It's like, well, they really don't care. It's not good basketball. And so we got to dispel all of that. And we show them the facts. We lay down the facts and we show them what we've done. Uh, but yeah, the Juco basketball in the same sense, it could say, it, it, you could feel like it's a failure as well. Uh, if I didn't go to that division one school or D2 school, or if I didn't get that scholarship right away, then I'm a failure. Well, there are some guys that got a scholarship right away and then they fell off. And then there's some guys that got the proper preparation here at the junior college level uh, whether it was academically, they were able to physically develop. And guess what? They were able to come here and have these successes, you know, these small successes, so that now they, they've, they've learned how to, to, to build a level of success and win at this level, and they take that to the next level, whether uh, instead of being thrown in with the wolves, some of us aren't prepared to be thrown in with the wolves, that high-level competition and prepared physically and mentally, emotionally, for that level. And then, you know what, the kids, they end up dropping back to junior college again, or they end up saying, Hey, I'm a, I'm a drop to a level, another level, or I'm a transfer. We got a transfer portal. That's got over 2000 athletes in it, 2000 basketball players alone. And that's the, the football one has like 5,000, 5,000 transfer portal. Why? Because 
you have student athletes at a place where they feel like uh, they didn't make a good decision, you know? And so community college for us, that's my thing. You're not going to fail on my watch. And I want to make sure that you're prepared not to fail at the next level. And so junior college can prepare you for that. And I think that's, that's to me, that's at the heart of what I'm trying to do is make sure when you go, you don't fail at the next level. Mm. And, you know, a lot of what the, like, you know, last chance you and, and the coaching style that you guys have, all your coaches actually, um, you know, the, the irony of the documentary is like basketball is almost like the sideshow. What it's really about is like the, the mentoring that you guys do with your players. Yeah. Um, and really what coaching is just a, a great way to mentor and help somebody be the person who, you know, God wants them to be. Um, and I'm curious uh, from, from your opinion, uh, how do you look at coaching uh, as, or how do you approach your mentoring of your players as their coach? Yeah. So I think the biggest thing is, and I said it before, I just threw it out there and everybody takes it as a quote, but it's building the relationships. You got to know exactly what's going on in their lives. You have to know, um, and you can't know everything, but the more you know, the more you know why they're responding a certain way and what it's going to take to help motivate them to move, to move on. So a lot of times, you know, you would see why is coach Mosley letting him act out? I would never tolerate that. Well, I kind of know what he's going through and giving him that space, that freedom to kind of act out and then going back to him and saying, Hey, look, let me tell you something. You're not going to be able to respond this way when you move on in life and at the next level, but I'm giving him the opportunity. I'm giving him that last chance to act out and, and to be able to walk him through that and talk him through that and mentor him through, uh, you know, how, what it's going to take to be a young man and, or an adult male in this society, you're going to have to change your response. And that's, that's, that's just what I, that's the, the heart that I have. That, that's just my calling. That's, that's my purpose. That's my passion. I'm not asking everybody to do it. Heck, may, your deal may be, I'm a, I'm a millionaire and let me donate money. Come on, donate it to me. But <laughs> you know, that, that's maybe what, what you want to do. But I think it's important to understand really what's going on. And I was sharing just on another podcast uh, a few hours ago, you know, I'm 47 now, but the, the young man that walks through the door every year is only what, 18 years old, right? But guess what? Next year, I'm going to be 48. The person that walks through the door is going to be what? 18 years old. Then I'm going to be 49. I'll be 50. The same person that walks through the door is going to be 18 years old. And I got to remember that because I'm maturing my expectations for that individual, I have to go to him. I got to meet him where they're at. And I have to learn about what's going on in their lives. And I got to make sure I'm not turning into that dad, right? Where I'm wearing the, 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 the dress socks all the way up to my knees, right? With the loafers on, <laughs> with some, uh, with the plaid shorts. I can't, I yeah, can't turn right. into that guy, right? So uh, I, I, not that I'm going to, you know, stoop down and, go back to hip hop, you know, I'm jazz and R&B now, but you know, I'm, I, I can't, I don't listen to rap anymore, but, uh, but I'm gonna make sure that I remember who they are. I, I see me in all of them. You know, I can see myself. I can see why they acted that way and why they responded that way because of this or that, or because I know what's going on in their lives. And I, I think that's how I take the, the mentoring approach. And I take the, the kind of coaching them through everything is, is, you know, I, I, I see me and I say, let me take a step back and see why they're responding a certain way. They all want to be players. They all want a scholarship. They all. So why would they sabotage that? Hmm. Okay. Because they're acting out because there's something going on or they're acting out. They don't know the proper way to respond. So, you know what? I'm not going to stereotype you and say, get rid of you. I'm going to teach you how to respond. I'm going to love on you and teach you how to respond uh for that and i'm not the only way that you're not going to learn it is if you quit and you walk out of the gym so I, i'm not giving up on you and you won't fail on my watch and i think it's it's building relationships and understanding what's 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 really going on in their lives and understanding them and their upbringing and uh you know what are some of the uh, you know some of them were abandoned and i'm not talking about abandoned like left on a on a uh on a porch i'm talking about they were mentally abandoned or supportively abandoned, you know, uh, with positive reinforcement. So you, you because you, Joe Hampton is this great player, he's got all of this positive reinforcement, 
But then when he blows out two knees and he's kind of spiraling in depression, he gets abandoned emotionally and supportively. The positive reinforcement is abandoned. Even though those people may be there, they abandon him. And he's like, well, where's all the love at? And so now he doesn't know how to handle that and he doesn't know how to respond. And so we got to understand those things. So now guess what? He's got a guard up Hmm. and I got to understand, okay, why is he so angry and all those different types of things? So that's, that's kind of the approach I take is the relationship is big. Now, did you have, I mean, to a certain extent, most coaches coach how they were coached. So I'm curious, did you have a, who was your coach Mosley? Who, uh, I guess, looking back at the documentary, you kind of found bat- basketball kind of found you uh, in high school. W- was there a particular mentor or coach that you had early on who was maybe your coach Mosley? And how did that mentor impact you? Yeah, so of course we, we got all those. My pastor says, take in the meat and spit out the bones, right? So there's a lot of meat that you can get from several coaches. You know, of course my dad was was probably the first, the, the, the main uh, the most inspiration. And I thank God I had a father. Uh, he passed away. But in, in regards to coaching, there were several that I had that, that coached me. But my, my, the one that I started my career with in terms of coaching, he was my college coach at the Masters University or it was Masters College back then, Masters University, Bill Oates. And the reason being is because he was a believer. He actually started out as athletes in action. The, he was the the coach that when Campus Crusades for Christ, when it really got going, it was because of that movement, that basketball program that was displayed in front of the world in the 70s. That's when it became really popular. And he was the coach that kind of steered that and made it popular where the United States was winning the world games. They were using athletes in action to play, uh, you know, they were representing the United States in the world games in the 70s, you know. and so he was the coach there. And ironically, John Wooden had retired. John Wooden was the color commentator in this, you know, for athletes in action back then. And they became close friends. So all of my basketball philosophies come from those two, my mentor. And he passed away last year, last, uh, uh, you know, January 2020. So, uh, but he was my mentor and I played for him at the Masters University for two years. And then uh, I came back and coached with him. Uh, he actually, I was going on to do some other crazy stuff and he coached me. He says, Hey, um, uh, you know, why don't you come finish? I had one class to finish. I went to Australia, went to Brazil and I had one class to finish. And he said, Hey, I'll pay for it. Come sit on the bench with me. And then that's when I really learned a whole lot. You know, you kind of get the other side, you know, we, we see the police or a referee, you know, those, those, those figures that we kind of see as kind of like, oh, that, that is kind of the enemy. The referee is the enemy. <laughs> so the, the coach was like, ah, I was kind of like, yeah, he's a coach. Like, you know, he yells and screams at us. He holds us accountable. He's like the teacher or something. But then when I started to coach with him, I saw the other side, that he was normal. He was funny. He was all that. But I saw the method to the madness a little bit, and it kind of inspired me. And I was able to stay competitive. I felt like I wasn't finished with basketball. Stay competitive. I was able to stay in that environment. And he also showed me ministry through coaching. And so I, my introduction to coaching was with a little bit more of integrity. No offense to anybody else, but there's some compromises at the next level, at certain levels that, that I've heard you have to do this in order to be successful. And he taught me how to do it in that regard. And, 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 and some of those jobs I stay away from because yeah, you, you, it, it feels like the only way to survive is to be uncompromising or, you know, or to, is to compromise. Mm-hmm. And, but I learned how to minister through that uh, and being a coach. And, and I think, so Bill Oates, man, Bill Oates, he, he actually shared with me uh, that, you know, so mm-hmm. that I would say he's kind of had a lot of impact. And, and of course, there's other coaches that showed me, you know, basketball stuff that I really love and, and recruiting and all that. But in terms of really how to live my life out and be a coach, I would say Bill Oates. And so when you, when you look at, and I'm sure you not only do you mentor players, but you mentor coaches, or I'm sure you would never not mentor somebody. Um, we have a lot of coaches who listen, youth, high school, college. Um, what's a, what's probably the most common mistake you see young coaches making when they're trying to establish who they are when they're new to a team? 
Yeah, I think, you know, I think assuming that they know that the coaching is the most important thing. You know, if you when you try to when you start the coaching and assume like, oh, I got these great plays. I see this other coach. He's not doing this, this and this in regards to the basketball. And I said it before. It's not the X's and O's. It's the easy. That's the easy part. The hard part is for a young coach. Establishing your culture is going to start with you building a relationship with the players and understanding the temperament of those players uh, and understanding and, and, and ingraining your culture. That's the most important part because they're not going to listen to you telling them to do a jump stop or make a hard chest pass or run this play. If you don't have that relationship, they're going to rebel against it. Eventually, when some type of adversity comes along, uh, all of that stuff goes out of the window. So I think building that relationship and that trust is the most important thing when you start um, at that level of integrity and not being wild by. And you got to realize that the players do ha hold some value. You got to realize people hold value. It's not your your plays and your your you know your strategies or any none of that man is going to hold value the thing that holds the most value is your relationship with people and players right off the bat you got to sell them on let's come this is a family environment and that's first the relationships is the first thing that we have to establish because if we can't establish that if we don't have the relationship if there's no trust then nobody's going to do anything to play together or come together so I think the, the mistake we make is we have an arrogance that we know the basketball and the, that part is going to carry us over. That has nothing to do with establishing your, your team, your culture. It, it has nothing to do with it. So, it, man, it, 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 I see it all the time. Even with a college coach, the, they'll take over a program. And the first thing they do is they don't pursue recruiting and recruit people, recruit players and recruit. They assume when I walk through the door, hey, I'll worry about recruiting later. Let's start with our plays. Let's put in all the plays and philosophy. Let's put this in. And they try to do it. And I'm like, man, first of all, you don't have any players. You don't have any people. You don't have good people around. You don't, you don't develop a relationship. You're so honed in on putting your plays in and coaching. That's 10% of it, man. You got to go recruit players. You got to have good players, you know what I'm saying? And then if your players are less talented, the best thing to do is build a relationship with them strong so that you can max or you can squeeze all of the, all of the juice out of that orange. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> yeah. if they're not good players, man, right. and you try to coach them, they're not, and they don't, if a, if a non, if a player that's, that's average, doesn't listen to you, you really up a Creek, man. You know what I'm saying? But if an mm. average player who's not as talented, he, he buys in 100%, man, you can go beat all those talented teams, you know. Uh, so that's the most important thing, man, is to build that. So if you think you're this great coach, man, I, that arrogance right there is. Sure. And for me, what I did, and we won right away. We went from, you know, we won the first year. We won our first playoff game in the school history. We won, you know, we won the conference the first, you know, after 40 years. And the first thing I did was just, man, let me just love on these guys. And I, my, my mind, I was like, I don't think we're going to, I don't know if we're going to win five games. I was like, I just want to teach these guys how to play hard so that they can move on to the next level and find out and build a relationship and have that, that atmosphere. And, and it worked. And I, to my surprise, it worked. You know? <laughs> yeah. Who, who would think being a normal person to your players would work, right? Would work, right. <laughs> um, well, we're coming up on your time and I want to be respectful of it. Um, what would be when you look back on your, on your coaching career, um, is there a moment of, or, or playing career, is there a moment of failure that like in the moment was obviously not enjoyable, but you felt like then set you up for later long-term success? You know what it was, and I think I shared it in the show. And so they, they have to, they cut out the part. I didn't finish my story, but I, <laughs> the coach that was my mentor, he told me, he said, John, you're not good enough. And I was like, what? What are you talking about, man? I'm from LA. I'm, I'm this great player. You know, nobody's ever told me. So I go to this conservative environment where everybody's doing jump stops, right? But here I am, I'm doing crossovers and going around people and I'm fast and all that. And, and he told me I wasn't good enough. And uh, that hit, that punched me, you know, it, and it, it punched me. Some of those failures of not playing 
and and it it, it and it not only did it help me build my faith, but it helped me build because I'm sitting there like, Lord, what the heck is really going on? But it also helped me understand basketball because I sat there and this is what my mentor and and the 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 story I ended up playing, I ended up starting and I ended up being having an impact on a team. They didn't let me finish that. I wanted to finish that. You know, all my <laughs> friends say, man, you sucked. You really sucked like that. You know, I was like, they didn't let me finish. But what he told me was. I wasn't good enough at the things that he needed to see. Like I have a list of the, like a five thing. I keep them in my Bible because it was all, it was like, uh, I'm not good enough at feeding the post. And I was like, what? I'm not good enough at getting us into our offense. I'm not good enough at initiating the defensive intensity or whatever. It was like five things that I'm like, what are you talking about, dude? I can make a step back three, you know? I'm thinking like, man, I can make threes. I can score, you know, I'm the fastest guy out there, but I wasn't good enough at doing the things I needed to do for that, that program. Mm -hmm. And that kind of hit home. And if first I tried to prove my point when he told me, but then I, when I went in there and I had a conversation and that's something that young men don't do either. They just pout and complain. And then fortunately I had a dad, my dad said, well, so what you on a scholarship? And I was like, what you're supposed to complain pops what's going on? <laughs> And my dad didn't complain. And, you know, and that's what we're missing with our young people as well. You know, I had a dad to tell me, well, don't complain. You got a scholarship, right? And I was like, yeah, but I want to play. And he's like, well, you just work hard. And I'm like, man, that's awful advice. I'm thinking in my mind. But now that's the great. I wanted my dad to get upset and complain like I've seen some other parents and go curse out the coach and say, why isn't my son playing? And he didn't do that. He left it up to me. So guess what? I had to go in there and be a man and ask the coach why. And he told me, well, you're not good enough. And then that hit me even harder. Like, what the heck are you telling me that for? And then eventually I revisited the conversation again. And he said, well, you're not good enough because you're not doing these things. And when he told me that, I went out and did those things. And I was more than good enough once I did those things, right? So those are things that we need to learn and lessons we need to learn. Those are some failures I went through. And you had to learn how to manage and get through, through those things. But because I went through them, now I can take a player and say, look, don't pout, don't complain. Let me tell you how to get through these things um, and get through these failures. And, and it'll help them get through life. So that, that was one instance. Of course, there's some tons of things that happen, but, but that's what comes to mind with, I, I guess the viewers can relate to because the coach told me, yeah, yeah, you weren't good enough. And, uh, but after he told me that, that chip on my shoulder, boy, I was trying to figure out why I wasn't good enough. And I figured it out and, and, and I knew the impact I could have. So also believing in yourself. I said, I know I'm, I'm, I could be a better fit for this spot. And then eventually when I did what he wanted me to do and I figured out what I needed to do to be successful, I was. I actually brought a little more life because I had this enthusiasm about playing. I had an energy, I had a team vibe. I did have a team vibe. You know, I wasn't selfish or anything, but I had a team vibe. And, and when I did those things, then I actually helped the team. So I was a better fit to, for the success. Yeah. Gotcha. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, you always look back to those like pivot points in your playing career, whether you're amateur college, high school, whatever, usually it centers around like some, at some point, an adult you really respected was just super blunt with you. Like, listen, you're, you're just not performing. Yes. Um, do, do you feel like, uh, and this could be real quick, but do you feel like uh, coaches are, hesitant to be as blunt or upfront with players in the same way that your head coach was with you today? Yeah, I think we're afraid to lose that great player. And, uh, you know, I think I've been fortunate enough to see a lot of great players. So I've seen them and to know that, and I think this is for some of the young coaches that it's not worth it. You know, um, there are some things that you have to do to, to make sure you keep that great player or, or the non, you know, to hurt their feelings or just to tell them the truth. I think they're going to respect you a little bit more if you're honest with the great player and you're honest with the not so great player. Um, you know, I've, I've, I've been able to have the conversations to say with our guys. I mean, if you're on our team, you're good enough. If you're on our team, the problem is, is you're being outperformed. And so there's, there's ways to say it without directly hurting their feelings if you know that that's the type of kid they are. And then there's ways, sometimes you got to be blunt and say, you're not good enough, you know, because of whatever it is, you know, you got to, you got to be blunt, but there's ways of saying it as well, where you can, you could, you could be sensitive 
to the situation. There's a kid that can work at his butt off and he looks a little down and discouraged and there's a way to say it because you know the kid's a good kid. But then there are some kids where you really got to chop them down, you know? Uh, and so that's a feel that you have to have as well. You got to be able to uh, manage and have a feel with how you're going to have to speak to a certain individual. And that all comes with, again, it stems back to building that relationship. Sure. And then uh, last question, you know, free, feel free to <clears throat> answer it to the extent that you're comfortable. But in what I was intrigued with, and I think it was the episode uh, with, you know, they're, they're looking at Joe Hampton when he was going through a rough patch. And uh, he mentioned that you had written a letter to the judge uh, on his behalf to help him out. You know, I'm, I'm curious, would you mind discussing it, you know, in a broadest sense, what, what was in that letter? Well, it, what, what I wanted the, the judge to feel is that he's, he's got, if, if he goes to jail, then he's going to miss this opportunity. So, and this may, this, this opportunity here is going, it is going to change his life and he has a support system that is proven. So I wanted to let him know that, that this is, this is foolproof where we got him. And not only that, he's already in class. So I was sharing with him, he's already in class. He's already having success. So I shared with him the successes he was having, you know, and we had started this rehabilitation process. We had started having success. And it just so happens that the warrant that he had pulled him into, like I was sharing with him, he, he changed. He's already changed, but what he what what he was in jail for was for something that happened a year or two ago and he didn't show up for court but i wanted to share that hey he's not on the run still out doing things no he had already changed take a look at his academics he's already changing he's already changed and you know what we're going to stop him on this path he's going to he's going to stop and here's here's what it looks like in the future for him he's got this school this school this school recruiting him look at his academics Look at the academic plan we have for him. Here's words from our academic counselor. And if he goes to jail and stays in jail, it's gone. That's gone. And so I wanted the judge to know that, that he had something, that he had a really rehabilitation plan. And if he, it, it would actually probably have been worse. I wanted to make it look worse, you know, uh, that, 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 if he did that, then he wouldn't have this opportunity, even though he had to, to uh, you know, he had to pay his debt to trying to, you know, try to do bank fraud or whatever. And, and you know, he, you know, took some kids' cell phones, you know, right. uh, he had to, he had to pay his debt for that, to that. But he had probation, he had all that. And so the judge would even, would he went even further to say, okay, if he could do this, this, and this, then we'll even look at removing. And so that was a part of the journey that we had with Joe as well throughout the year. And that's the scene where people couldn't see all of that. You know, we had this journey sure. where uh, he's battling that and he wants to get through it. He wants to quit. He wants to, and it's hard and we got through it. And now he's at a university playing and, you know, and that's right there now, you know, I, I, that's the most satisfying thing to me. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's what we were going through. And those are some of the things that we shared. And it was from the heart. It was like, man, it's over. If he, if he does, if you, if you don't let him out, it's over for this young man, because that's the one thing that he had. That's the one value he had was his basketball ability to be productive in society. You know, that was, that was his start. That's not the only quality, but that was his start. That was going to help him. Uh, that was going to give him that boost to go and be, even if he wanted to be a doctor, we needed him to play basketball this year. We needed him to be play, play basketball. I don't care what he was going to do in life. He had to play basketball and go to school this year in order to do whatever he wants to do in life, because this was going to be the way we can give him those lessons to, to, to respond the right way and, and beat adversity. And, and, and it did. And that's what happened. Sure. Yeah. I think, you know, you, you said it and it's very, you know, it's very obvious with watching the show with your staff, like in, I think teachers and coaches and anybody that works with young people can resonate with this, like kids need patience and they need another chance when you probably want to give them that patience the least. Um, hey, this has been awesome. Um, real quick before we, we close out, 
um, what's the best way listeners could support you or, um, you know, or your team or, or what you guys have going on? Is there anything that you'd like to plug? Yeah. You know what? I, I, uh, you could just kind of go to our sites, but it may, it may be hard to find, but what I've done is I've, I've just put a link tree, uh, where there's a bunch of links on my, both of my pro- profiles on my Twitter profile, which is John Mosley jr. Um, and that's J O H N M O S L E Y. I mean, it's kind of, I got all these followers now, so you would be easy to find. And then on my Instagram page is coach Mosley, uh, underscore Elac. Uh, you, 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 you find coach John Mosley underscore Elac and you find it and there's a link tree and then it has, you know, there's people that, that ask about donations because they saw some of the struggles we have. We have state funded program. So we're never going to be fully supported. We're a community college. The focus is on the academics. They, they don't see us as, as, you know, in terms of like a university. So support there individually for our, you know, for, for us, um, you know, I could put cheese on a cheese on a burger now, you know, it, it's not much, but instead yeah. of staying at the, the hotel where the doors face out, we can stay in the intimate hotels where the doors, where we can, we can run and knock on doors down the hallway. You know, we can, <laughs> you know, we can walk outside with our, with our socks on. So yeah. it, it just changes that dynamic. Uh, it's not much. And then it has different pages on there. You know, I plan to have a website up in a couple uh, and I'm actually in a couple weeks or less than a couple weeks here. And then, you know, I'm working on writing some, some books that, that, uh, you know, that, that lean a little bit towards my faith and basketball and leadership stuff. So, yeah. And here's the out. Thanks for listening to the coach Cahill show. If you found today's show inspiring or helpful, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or share the show with a friend. Reviews and ratings are what help us continually attract interesting and engaging guests like the one you heard today. Remember, referrals are the best compliment.